Hello and welcome to DW's Conflict Zone podcast. I'm Tim Sebastian. And my guest at the Munich Security Conference is the Ukrainian MP and human rights campaigner, Alexei Goncherenko. If you enjoy the program, don't forget to like and share it. Well, the war in Ukraine got a powerful international spotlight this past week, almost exactly a year after it began. High-level politicians met in Munich to discuss more and faster aid to Ukraine and to try to cement their unity and commitment to the country's eventual victory. Alexei Goncharenko has fought tirelessly to secure promises of international support and more powerful weapons for his country. If they get them, many Ukrainians say the war could be over in months. If not, it could drag on much longer and many more people will die. The timetable may be unclear, but last week's meeting seems to have strengthened the West's determination to see Ukraine win. Alexei Goncharenko, welcome to Conflict Zone. Thank you very much for the invitation. You got a lot of promises at the Munich Security Conference. What were they? Promises of weaponry, promises of uh, very long support, as long as it takes, how it was said. No, by the way, it is very... I understand the importance of this signal, which was given by all of Chancellor Scholz, President Macron, Vice President Harris, uh, first of all, to Putin, that the free world is ready for a long fight, and that is important. Also for people of the free world to explain that it can uh, last long. But for Ukrainians, it sounds disturbing, because uh, every day is very painful for us, and we don't want long war. We want to finish it quickly. And we know that we can do this. That is what we definitely know. That's why uh, I appreciate that it was said as long as it takes. But I hope that uh, the decisions will be made and Ukraine will receive everything we need and we will finish it quicker. Because the whole world is suffering, not just Ukraine. Inflation crisis, food crisis, fuel crisis, refugee crisis, all of them worsen every day because of what's going on in Ukraine. One of the most important issues for you, did you see any movement in the red lines governing what the Western Alliance will give you in terms of weapons? Those red lines that you've spoken a lot about in the past, did they move? They move. I see that they move. Definitely. Tank Leopards, uh, Heimer, everything was red line. At the, when we it said Hobbitsers. They've moved a long way. Yeah, it moved but, but a long way. But did they move this last week? It moved. Uh, in what Rish, way? In Rishi way? Sunak yesterday told about long-ranged uh, weaponry, uh, and that is very important for us, probably the most important today. Also, he uh, answered my question on the main stage about the training of Ukrainian pilots, and he said that they start the process now. That is very important. And also, after I had a possibility to speak with him a little bit in private. So, um, that is a good signal. I see that the red lines are moving. Uh, but still, there are some red lines in the heads. And, and the main red line is that many people here, they want Ukraine to win the war, but at the same time, they're afraid of, Russian, of Russia to lose. I want to get into that in a moment. But um, what exactly was, your, was on your shopping list when you came here? One of your colleagues has spoken about cluster munitions. Cluster munitions are banned under a convention that uh, more than 100 countries have signed. Yeah, is, but that, is, that, is that something you wanted? No, the most important was... Did you ask the West for cluster munitions? Uh, yes, we asked it 
previously at the United States of Despite America. Despite the convention, that's uh, we are not signature of this convention. We will not. Uh, and you violate. have no qualms about are, using a weapon like they that? are using it against us every day. So that, may, that makes it okay. Yes, yeah, they they are killing us with this every day. So we have all the right, all the moral right to use it, because we are defending ourselves and we are using it not like them against civilians, but just against army. We never attacked Russian civilian objects. So we have all the right to use them. We are not signatories, so we have a juridical right to do this. And in the United They're States... They're very of, controversial, these weapons. They're very controversial. Uh, you know, I think when you are saying this, you just don't realize that every day Ukrainians are killed by Russians on our own soil, in our own homes, our women and children. What controversial it can be? We have all moral right to defend ourselves with everything we can. If you will be attacked on the street by somebody, and if you will have a stone lying on the, just under your head, uh, legs, will you take it and use it to save your life? And, oh, oh it's controversial to use stone on the street. I think it's, absur it's absurd to say that there is something controversial for Ukraine. We're not offending anybody. We're not attacking anybody. We don't want any inch of somebody's territory. We just want ours. We just want to be alive with our families on our land. And Russia is committing genocide against Ukrainians on our occupied territories. That was said, Kamala Harris yesterday said about thousands of Ukrainian children, which are taken from their families and sent to Russia to make from Ukrainian children Russians. What more awful, what crime can be? I'm not speaking about rapings, murders, and what is everybody knows. So I don't agree with you that there is some controversy. We have the right juridically, we have the right moral. But that was not the most important in our shopping list. The most important was long-range missiles, attackums, first of all, for high mercies. And, you, and you're going to get those? Uh, no, we don't have these as a clear promise. We hear there are discussions, but still no decision. What about, fighter aircraft? what about fighter aircraft? What about fighter aircraft? Again, there is no decision no, to deliver them to to deliver these weaponry to Ukraine. But there is a decision to start training our pilots. That is the first step and very important because without training, for us Western fighter jets is a piece of metal on wheels. So we need to, uh, trained people to operate them. And the process, Rishi Sunak said yesterday, answering my question, we start the process now. You talked about the West and uh, its exaggerated fears about Russian escalation. Why are the fears exaggerated, in your view? Uh, no, it's not about, about Russian escalation. There is a fear that Russian defeat on the battlefield will lead to collapse of Russian Federation. And then there will be many challenges. Uh, Why is that exaggerated? It, it, could, it could lead to the collapse of it Russia. Could. And there will be big challenges. Who will control mass destruction weaponry? What will be in Russia? Maybe bloodshed. What will be in Siberia? What will be in North Caucasus? But the problem is that today's challenge is bigger. So the Russian Empire, a life Russian Empire, is much more dangerous than what will be after collapse. Yeah, there will be a lot of problems after collapse, but it's better. It's the same how with Soviet Union. If we would have today's Soviet Union, just imagine what would be. It would be not Putin's invasion to Ukraine. That would be Putin's invasion to Poland. So it's better that Soviet Union is, does not exist anymore. But where there are challenges of collapse of Soviet Union 30 years ago? Definitely they were. And also was bloodshed in North Caucasus, in Moldova, in many places.
the West has also talked about the danger of nuclear escalation by Russia. You think that's exaggerated too? No, I think that it is a legitimate concern, but it's not to Ukrainians. It's not for us to do something with this. What is the difference for Ukrainians? How to be killed? By the bullet from Russian soldier? By nukes? By, I don't know, chemical weaponry? By missile falling on our heads? Or Iranian drone? For us, no difference. But the world should stop Putin in this to prevent it. And I see that there are very important signals. Yesterday also that here in Munich was speech of Van Yi, who is the head of uh, the Chinese, Chinese chief external policy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Expert. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, he's not an expert. He is a main he's guy. A policy he guy. is a yeah, policy guy. He is a member of Politburo and that is the senior person. And he said clearly, no nukes, no chemical, no biological. That is very important signal. That was signal f- to Russia. He said he would put forward a peace proposal on behalf of China. Are you interested in China's peace proposal? Certainly. Why not? We're interested in all peace proposals. We're ready to any peace negotiations. But about what? The subject should be. If it is about Russia leaving Ukrainian territory, we are very interested. We are very ready. We are eager to go ahead. If it is about some concessions from Ukrainian side, that is not kind of negotiations we're interested in. Because it will mean that uh, the international order is still violated and destroyed, that international law is not respected. Even if one inch of Ukrainian territory will be taken by Russia, it will mean that countries can move borders by physical force. That will be the end of international order, and there will be bloodshed on the whole planet. Let's talk about the situation on your front lines, the extreme urgency of getting ammunition, ammunition supply speeded up, How bad is the situation on your front lines? It's very difficult. Um, On the eastern front line, uh, Russia is just not counting people. They're sending wave by wave as a cannon fodder. Uh, We also have losses, not such high like Russia. It's uncomparable in general, but still for us, it's very painful. And Russia, meter by meter, but they have some gains. And, uh, yeah, situation is difficult. That's why for us it's urgent to have a speed of delivery of ammunition, of weaponry. Because when we hear, we will give you Abrams, but they will be in the end of year. Just where we are, where we are, and where is the end of the year, you know? So it's not just the promise to give it to you. It's the capacity of the West to be able to deliver it. Absolutely. And here is a great challenge that the whole world, meeting here in Munich, For years, the world was meeting for security and just talking. Europe demilitarized itself. Demilitarized. Demilitarized itself. If now United States of America would not be involved, where would be Putin? I mean, what is the strength of Bundeswehr? What is the strength of other armies of, if if there is a problem for them to send several dozens of operating battle tanks but just imagine so europe delivered its uh, security to the united states but what would be if someday hopefully this day will never come but if someday united states of america is a lachianist will win there and they will say it's not to us the uh, Na- <coughs> excuse me the nato boss jens stoltenberg has said that some the delay on some types of ammunition has gone from 12 months to 28 months That's not sustainable for you, is it? Absolutely. That is 
that is is that your biggest worry at the moment one of the biggest one of the biggest and uh, uh, you know i i can't understand i mean one year it's one year of big war in europe okay we're not speaking about mistakes which were made before i'm not speaking that everything was clear from 2008 when putin uh, started the war in georgia then absolutely clear from 2014 when he started the war in ukraine okay even i'm not speaking about this but one year why in one year the production could not be uh, really like widened and, and organized in big quantities. I, I can't understand this. Uh, there uh, in Rammstein format, where these, you know, on Rammstein military base, there is a meeting of ministers of the defense. American base. Yeah, yeah American base, who are supporting Ukraine. We mm. call it Rammstein format. If you will, you will take countries of Rammstein forward together, their GDP is $50 trillion. Uh, it's normal. I mean, it's uh, and and these countries for one year cannot organize the process of production of ammunition. Mr. Kanjarenko, if you do get what you need and quickly, you've said the war could be over in a matter of months. Yes. Are you talking about outright victory on the battlefield? Yes. As a possibility, you really believe that? Absolutely. I was uh, the first month after invasion. I joined territorial defense. And uh, I saw everything by my own eyes when we were defending Kiev. If in March of last year we would have high marses, hovitzers, and everything else we received in May, June, we would finish everything in April. Then the same was in summer before Russia mobilized. Then the same was after Russia mobilized, but <clears throat> newly conscripted people still had not arrived. And all the time we're chasing after Putin. So the lesson is, let us make step ahead of Putin and we will finish everything in months. The American Defense Department doesn't seem to agree with you on that. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, said last week he still believes the war will end with neither side likely to achieve their military aims. Neither side. Sounds like stalemate, doesn't it? Uh, you know, I'm... I'm just, I was just one month soldier of territorial defense and General Milley is a respected general, but... Is he wrong? Uh, yes, I think so. Why? Uh, because one year ago, the same people in Pentagon said that Ukraine will fail, Kyiv will fail in three days. Were they right or not? They were wrong a year ago. Why we should be sure that they are not wrong today? Do you trust Western governments to, to back whatever demands you're going to make to get to a peace deal? I trust our partners, we trust our partners and allies. Uh, we understand that they have concerns, we need to work with these concerns. But in general, yes, there is trust between Ukraine and, and the West and the free world, absolutely. Have any of the countries said they want to say in the peace negotiations? We want to, yeah, definitely. I think because this war is not just because between Ukraine and Russia, it's not just about Ukraine and Russia. It's much wider context. More countries will be on the negotiation table better. Absolutely. Do you worry about public opinion worldwide? Do you worry about war fatigue outside of Ukraine? I ask because global public opinion is showing some signs of that fatigue. According to an Ipsos poll in January, in 28 countries, 42% say the problems of Ukraine are none of our business and we should not interfere. That number has gone up three points since last March, April. Does that concern you? The, that concerns me. But, you know, when we are speaking about polls, it just means that we are not doing enough job. Because about people, we just need to explain them why it is important. That's why I'm so thankful for you that, to you that you invited me, just to explain to people, that's not about Ukraine and Russia. If Putin will not be stopped now, he will go ahead. And then NATO soldiers will fight already on NATO territory. 
you know, tyrants are like geopolitical maniacs. They can't stop. They only can be stopped. And if Putin would be successful in any way, that will be a message for the other dictators and tyrants in the world to attack. And that can be an absolute disaster. And the last thing I just want to remind all of our listeners and viewers, 30 years ago, Ukraine was the first country in human history which voluntarily gave up nuclear weaponry under guarantees of United States, United Kingdom, and Russia. But guarantees can... which meant nothing. Absolutely. But tell me, what is this? But you were let down. You were let yeah, down. Yeah, absolutely. But what will be the message to the world if after Ukraine gave up nuclear weaponry, our territorial integrity would not be restored. That will mean just one thing to all countries in the world. Go nukes. Um, uh, you should become nuclear powers if you want to have security. Nobody will help you. What will mean this in future? In 20, 30 years, we will have nuclear war, or either in uh, South America, or in Asia, or in Africa, or in, or in Europe. So this war is a crucial moment of the first half of 21st century. That's something we need to explain to people. And I believe these 42 percent you told about, they will become 32, then 20, 22. That's what we should work on. You tried after the invasion of Crimea in 2014, you tried to get the West interested in this subject, to tell them how dangerous it was, to tell them that uh, international order was being ripped up. Nobody listened to you, did they? Yes. Tell me, tell me about some of those conversations. I mean, you went to the Council of Europe, you went to Brussels, you talked to the Americans. Nobody was interested. Why not? What did they tell you? They were telling, let us not escalate, let us find peaceful solution, let us speak with Russia, let's better have negotiations and all this stuff. But you see, the lesson is clear. The same people you're talking to today. Uh, almost the same. It's democracies. It's not like Putin, who is eternal. These people changes, uh, and that's good thing about democracies that that politicians changes, and others see the uh, mistakes of their predecessors and cannot repeat these mistakes. And that's, I hope, what will happen. We can speak about what happened in 2014. We can speak about what happened in 2008. But in reality, it is really frustrating that. Even after 2014, Germany was, so was increasing its dependence from Russian fossil fuel when it was clear that Putin will weaponize it one day. Why? It was a great mistake. But no sense to speak about it now. Now there is a sense to speak about the lessons. But just, to, but just one lesson. If the West had acted in a more concerted way and a tougher way, do you think they could have prevented Absolutely. The, the war from taking Absolutely. place? If there, were, there was a chance to stop it yes, back in 2014. Absolutely. If the uh, free world would stop it in 2014, 2022 would never happen. That I can tell you absolutely for sure. Putin felt himself uh, irresponsible. He felt that he can do this. And he felt encouraged and emboldened. That's, that was a huge mistake. Has that affected your view of the West today? You say the politicians have changed and they don't stay forever. There are democracies. People get voted in and voted out. But isn't there a residual feeling that the West could still let you down? No. I will explain you why. That's the big change. Isn't it? That's a big change. And why? I will explain. It's not about politicians. Because these are democracies. It's about societies. And when... It's hard for me to speak about it without emotions. When millions of Ukrainians, women and children were running away from the country, millions of Polish people, German people, Romanian people opened the doors of their houses, 
to take people whom they never saw in their life. It means that the West is alive. This uh, hum humanity in the West, the, this idea of this civilization is alive. And that is the strength of this civilization. Politicians can make mistakes, but the values, they are really here. It's not about consumerism, no. This is about humanism. And that's why I believe in free world. And I don't have any residual feeling. Let me take you back to February the 24th, when the invasion started. You, you joined a civil defense unit didn't yes. you, in Kiev. You had a gun. Yes. You were prepared to use it. Yes. What was morale like on that day? It was a very difficult day. I hope it will never uh, repeat in my life. My wife called me, it was five o'clock. She was in Odessa with our children. I was in Kiev. She called me and saying that she heard explosions, that inv invasion started. We voted for martial law in the parliament. And then it, it, I realized that I have only two options. The first option is to run away from Kiev. The second option is to take weapons in my arms. Were you scared? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, it was clear that in and when I, we were listening to the prognosis of uh, with the West that Kyiv will fail in three four days, uh, and I came to defend Kyiv, it meant that maybe in three four days I will be dead. But that was, uh, you know, a choice which hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians made. They said we will not run away. After that day, what did you find out about yourself and about your country? that we are very strong, that we have values, and that we will definitely win. Have you allowed yourself to think ahead to what it might be like to live in a peaceful country again? Do you allow yourself to think of that while the war uh, is still raging? You know, I can, tell, I can answer you. Uh, many people have these traumas, and, and we're all traumatized, all Ukrainians, definitely. But many people are saying, how you endure, what is your... But the, the question is, you need to do something all the time. There was a moment in one month after start of invasion when I had an almost free day, and that was the, the worst day during the, all the time. Why? Because all these, all these emotions, images, all these thoughts and emotions, they came to me. And that was very difficult. And I couldn't just stay in my apartment. I just came out onto the street and I was just working like several hours, just one, just, just working. And that is the answer. All Ukrainians, we are doing today everything we can to win. And when you're working 24 seven, you don't have much time to think, to regret. And we don't have time even to cry our tears. We will do it later. When peace does eventually come, there are so many people who've been vital to your society who won't be there. Yes. They've gone. Yes. We're talking about doctors, teachers, soldiers, policemen, carpenters. We're talking about best plumbers, people, electricians, who came, professors who came to, to the front line and are dying there. That is a great problem. And, uh, but I believe that all of these wars not without sense. I believe that, yeah, we, we are paying huge price, but we should do this because hundred years ago, Ukrainian, Ukraine lost its independence, also against Russia. And after this, Russia organized genocide of Ukrainians. Holodomor, uh, then the awful Second World War, bloodlands. The starvation. Starva everything. I mean, like millions of people died. 
So yes, today we are, we are losing thousands, but we are losing thousands not to lose millions. You've put a lot of emphasis on post-war justice, war crimes, yeah. tribunals. Yeah. Do you really have hope that you will be able to prosecute or see prosecuted Russians who've committed war crimes? What a, is lot this of people, a lot of people get away with a lot of bad things, a lot of serious crimes these days, don't they? What is the sense to live without hope? And it's not just about hope. It's not just about justice for Ukraine. Why this tribunal is so needed? It's to prevent such things to happen in other parts of the planet. Everybody should know and should have a lesson. You couldn't act like this. That's the aim. That's why we're pushing it so hard. And you think you'll get results? I'm sure about this. I'm sh I don't know about Putin himself. Will he be sentenced by history or by tribunal? But I'm sure that many, biggest part of his entourage will be on the bench in the courts and they will pay their price. As you know, your president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has become something of a hero in the West. In October, you told the Kiev Post that he was bearing his responsibilities as commander-in-chief with dignity. But that didn't mean you had no questions for him, only yeah. that the questions would wait until after the war. Exactly. Sounds like the moment the guns stop firing, the politics will begin again. In because Ukraine. we are democracy. The political battles. Because we are democracy and political battles is like Russia shows to us. Political battles in democracies is the only way to prevent physical, real battles on the front line. And you're ready to battle him when the politics Absolutely. begins again. I'm, I, I can repeat it. He bared his responsibilities with all dignity. And uh, uh, he is great as a commander-in-chief from February 24th. But I have a, many questions about how we got to February 24th and how we were prepared for February 24th. And all these questions I will raise after our victory. Alexei Gancherenko, it's been good having you on Conflict Zone. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much, much for your indeed. invitation. Thank you. If you enjoyed the interview, please subscribe to the podcast and give Conflict Zone a review on your preferred platform. Thanks for joining us.